and uh, just grateful to be a part of a great fellowship. Uh, the, the music, the, the prayer this morning, super powerful, super connecting for me. I hope it was the same for you just to spend that time in prayer. We are in a series. It's my personal series that I'm just going with uh, uh, until we get through the whole book of Mark, but we're following Jesus through the pages of Mark. And you know, as we, as we come together as, as two churches or one church with two warships, uh, we really want to have a, a consistent um, theme or message that we, that we, that we uh, buy in on, that we, that we are on the same page with one another. And, and one of those big mission statements, one of those, one of those goals that I have for my life, and, and hopefully maybe we can share this as a fellowship, is the idea of to love and live like Jesus. I mean, that's the end result. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're, we're trying to become. And, and in the course of studying the Bible and, and over the years of my Christianity, I've learned that one way to get there, one of the most important, effective ways to get there, to accomplish that is to be uh, to let Christ be formed within me we call it spiritual formation that's a that's a goal we have is to become like Christ last week we talked about uh, the Syrophoenician woman I appreciate John mentioning it in the prayer and and how there she was just just accepting whatever fell from the table of Jesus there was no uh, uh, pretense there was no uh, uh, standard that she had of of minimum acceptable crumb that came from the table of Jesus she was just grateful for anything that fell from the table and that's such a great example of a step a, a process step in the in the in the uh, in the goal of having Christ formed within us we've got to be hungry for his word and grateful for every bit of it we've got to stop expecting and start accepting what God gives us amen today we're gonna Take another step. We're gonna we're gonna move down the road of spiritual formation, and we're gonna talk about doing. Start doing today. So there was this teacher, and she had a class full of students, and uh, she asked her students. She wanted to talk to them about uh, the whole idea of food and where it comes from, and etc. And so she asked the students, "What do the plump chickens give us?" And they shouted out drumsticks, breasts, thighs, and, and ultimately they said, they said food. She said, very good, that's right, food. And what does those big old pigs give us? And they shouted out pork chops, uh, uh, ribs, and ultimately they all shouted out bacon. Yes. And then the teacher asked, what does the fat cow give us? And all at once the kids said unanimously, homework. <laughs> You know, uh, in school, homework is never fun. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity, homework is the doing of Christianity. It's where it gets done. Let's turn to Mac, uh, Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 31. And uh, let's pray before we read. Father, it is great. We are just so grateful to be here. And thank you for this opportunity to study your word this morning to let it speak to us, and hopefully to become part of what we do in our everyday life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus left Tyre. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. He left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. 
Now you see our little map here, and, and we just kind of use this to give us perspective. And, and uh, this area, this map is, a, is a, an, a, an overview shot of the area of Palestine in the time of Jesus Christ. And last week we saw that Jesus, at the height of his popularity, when he, when he, I even have a little clicker here, if you look over on this screen, up here in Galilee, at the height of his popularity, Jesus, instead of going down to Jerusalem to be you know, inaugurated as high priest or king or whatever of the Jews, he decides to go westward, over northwest, kind of up off the map, up in this area here, to an area called, uh, to a city called Tyre, which was in an area known as Syrophoenicia in the time of Jesus. It's modern day Lebanon today. And that's where he went. He decided to go there, a very Gentile area, a non-Jewish area. That's what I mean when I say Gentile. And it seems strange that he would go over there because he was at the top of his, his game. I mean, he had the followers. Now's the time to head down to Judea, to Jerusalem, become the high priest, become the king, or whatever it is. But he doesn't do that. He goes that way. And we saw that he went into the town of Tyre. There he met a, a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile woman, who was just so open to anything he was willing to offer her. And she's such a great example to us and a testimony to us of how we should be when it comes to the, to the scriptures, to the to the to the the food that's on the table that Jesus provides, that we should just be grateful for whatever we get. And it's very convicting to think about that because the older we get as Christians, the easier it is to start expecting a certain level of standard. And we start to, we start to miss some of the real gems that are falling from the table. Well, after that interaction with the woman, instead of going back into Galilee, he heads on up north, and I have a different map here, to the city of Sidon. Now, this is still in modern-day Lebanon, actually not far from Beirut, and it's just up the coast. He's still in Gentile turf, Syrophoenicia, and he decides to go up there, and this passage tells us that after he goes there, he makes this giant loop all the way back down to the area on the map called the Decapolis. That's, what, that's the Greek word for ten towns. And it seems very strange that Jesus would do this giant circle you know, Tyre was a, was a pretty uh, prominent port city in his day, and, and there were certainly people from Tyre who came uh, to hear Jesus when he was in Galilee, and maybe that's why he went there, and maybe that's why he went up to Sidon. We don't actually know all the details. But there's something we do know. There's something we can learn from this little journey that Jesus goes on. And that is that following Jesus is never a straight line. If you've been in the Lord for any period of time in your life, if you've become a believer and decided that you want to follow Him and become like Him, the first thing you find out is that it's a zigzag sometimes. Sometimes it's circles. Sometimes it's triangles. Sometimes it goes one way and then another way. It, it, it's just never a straight line. You never know what corner, what, what lies ahead around the next turn, around the next bend. And that's some of the joy, that's some of the adventure of following Jesus. If you really, truly give yourself over to Him, He's going to take you places that you would not expect to go. And you wouldn't be expecting to go there. It's one of the, the joys of the Christian life, but it sometimes can be unsettling. I know as I get older, it's harder to want to go off course. It's harder to want to go places that seem out of, out of the way. But if I trust in Jesus Christ, I can trust that He has a reason. And clearly, Jesus had reasons to go to Tyre, to Sidon, and then make that loop 
all the way back down to the ten towns. Now, a little bit about the town of Sidon. In Greek, it means fishery. It was a well-known town in the time of Jesus. It was famous for two things. For a purple dye that initially was manufactured there, and then the city of Tyre kind of stole that industry from them, and that became known as the place for purple dye. But then Sidon was known for glass, for making glass. World-renowned glassmakers. And so that made Sidon a pretty important town. But there was something else just outside the city of Sidon that's significant to our story today. There was a temple to a god called Echmon, a local god of healing, right there outside of the city of Sidon. And in Jesus' day, the city of Sidon was kind of a pilgrimage site. It was a place people would go for healing. Sidon has a long history in the Jewish uh, in, in terms of the Jewish history, Sidon and Jewish history sort of interacts. And at times they were friends and at times they were enemies. Probably the most well-known thing Sidon was known for other than, uh, you know, in, in Jewish history was, uh, well, other than the glass and the, and the dye, was that it was the, that, that's where Queen Jezebel was born. That's where she was from. And if you, those of you that know your Bible, you know that Jezebel is a bad person in the Bible. She married a king of Israel named Ahab, Ahaz, sorry, and together they basically destroyed the nation of Israel religiously and spiritually and in every other way, and they're forever enshrined as horrible people in the history of the Jews. So there's a lot of dynamics here. Sidon was eventually conquered by various other nations, including Alexander the Great, who, if you remember from last week, when he destroyed Tyre, after destroying Tyre, he just went up and took Sidon along the way, might as well. And so... By the time we get to Jesus, it really had just become a place really known for this temple of Ekmon and, its heal- and, the, and the healing powers that p- people believed they would get by going there and, and visiting it. You know, that's really important for us to keep in our minds that backdrop of the city of Sidon to sort of understand what, why Jesus is there, and what can we take away from his time there. Verse 32. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. So we don't know how long Jesus was there before this happened. Did he just show up and boom, or was he there for a while? But the point is, is that he, when he got there at some point, People recognized that he was there, and he was recognized as a miracle worker, a healer. His reputation had spread all over the place. And so here in the city of healing, they bring a deaf guy to come and get healed by Jesus. And I want you to point out, I want to point out a couple things in this passage that I think are really significant for our for our, our lives today. One is it describes them as begging Jesus to lay hands on him. Now, I don't know if that was a good begging or a bad begging. Was that them just trying to see a miracle, so they just found the the first guy they could find that needed something and dragged him in front of Jesus and, and begged for him to heal him so they could see this miracle? Or was this out of love and compassion for this poor man who was suffering in such a tragic way? Did they bring him there? The point is, either way, the man is going to benefit from interacting with Jesus. No matter what people's motives are for showing up at church, at some point, if their hearts are open, they're going to benefit from coming to know Jesus. There's a a good thing happening there. 
The thing I want you to notice, though, is this man was deaf and he had a speech impediment. Now, the word there for speech impediment is mogilalos. And it's an interesting word because it only appears one other time in all of Scripture. And that is in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. It says, The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And the reason why this is significant to us is because Mark, the writer of this gospel, used that word intentionally. He knew that by using that word for any good Jew who grew up knowing the scriptures and especially the passages about a coming Messiah would instantly recognize that word as a unique word and instantly think back to, wow, that, that's a word that's related to the Messiah. That's a prophecy about a coming Messiah. The point is, Mark wants you and I to know, he wants his readers to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's purposely using the word to make a connection between that Isaiah passage, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, and this actual encounter, this, this specific encounter Jesus has with this deaf guy. He doesn't want there to be any confusion. Remember, he's in Sidon. There's a, it's a place of healing. There's a temple there. There are priests of Ekmon who are claiming to be able to heal people. And Mark's going, uh-uh-uh-uh. This didn't happen because he was inside on at that temple. This happened because Jesus Christ is, was and is the Messiah. And that's important for you and I because Mark is clearly telling us who he believed Jesus Christ was. And as we read this passage, we're going to see Jesus behave in some funny ways. And, and at first, we might think that Jesus is doing what a priest of Ekman might do. He might look to us as 21st century Americans as a Eastern shaman or a, or a, or a faith healer of, of a different culture. But trust me, if we take our time through the passage, we're going to see a completely different picture. We're going to see Jesus Christ revealed to us as the Messiah. Before I move into that, though, I want to just point out one thing. Whether these people were good-intentioned or not, I don't know for sure. It seems to indicate that they were. The begging seems to be more out of a spirit of compassion. I want to just say this. Whenever we spend time praying to Jesus, whenever we spend time talking to people about Jesus, Whenever we go out of our way, in whatever way we, we might do that, serve or whatever, for, uh, you know, uh, for the sake of Jesus, we are advocating for them. That's what these people did. They advocated for this poor deaf guy. They were worried about this guy. They had concerns for this guy. And, and whether it was all pure and good intended or not, I don't know for sure. But the point is, is they advocated for him. And that's what you and I do when we reach out to other people, when we pray for people, when we have counseling appointments, when we do Bible studies, when we talk, we advocate. Right. You're an advocate right. if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Right. I so appreciate John and Dana Teal. Right. They advocate for prayer, and John got it from his mom, Vonda, but they advocate for prayer in our fellowship like nobody's business. 
John champions the see me praise. It's something, it's, it's, it's on our calendar. It's not an expectation that everybody go. It really is an open invitation once a month to come and join us in a park in Simi Valley to go out and pray for an hour once, one Saturday a month. I, I firmly believe that so much of what God has done is a direct result of that advocacy that John has championed and those who've prayed with him and see me praise. I'm so grateful that that was on John's heart, and John has championed it for a couple of years now. But right next to him is his wife, Dana. And those of you know, Dana sends out a prayer list. She's the champion of our prayer list. She sends it out over announcements at seemechurch.org, and every week an announcement goes out, hey, send me your prayer request. You reply, they come to her, she organizes them, and then she sends them back out so that we can pray for each other and other people, so we can advocate for each other. I'm so grateful that we have people who advocate on the behalf of other people. It's so like Jesus. It's so much of who he was and what he was like. So now let's jump in to the passage. Verse 33. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Now, again, reading this just first impression, it does look a little odd. I'm a big fan of travel shows on TV, and especially ones that involve food, where they travel and eat strange food. I love those shows. And uh, my favorite one is Bizarre Foods. I love that that guy eats bugs and weird stuff. It's awesome. One time he was in, a, he was in a, uh, you know, an Eastern, uh, just a whole different culture from us, whatever the country was. And he went to a faith healer. And the funny thing is the faith healer did a lot of the same stuff. Spit and touched and did all this kind of stuff to him in, in an effort to cleanse him of whatever it was that the faith healer felt he had. And some people read the Bible, and that's what they see here. They see an incantation. They see Jesus acting like the priests of Ekmon. That's what they see. But as I said before, I think we're gonna, if we just take a minute and look at it, we're going to see something totally different. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus led the man away from the crowd. doesn't mean that he was totally alone, but he pulled him out of the crowd. He certainly wanted to minimize distraction. The second thing you see is that Jesus didn't want publicity. He kind of pulled this aside. He wasn't doing this for the show, and he didn't hand out his business card afterwards and say, hey, thanks for coming and call me sometime. He didn't do any of that. He was already pretty well known by this point, but he wasn't in it for the publicity. But here's the most important thing, and this is the thing I want you to hear, and it's the thing that moves my heart. I believe firmly that Jesus did this to communicate to the man. My wife and I led the deaf ministry in the San Fernando Valley for uh, many, many years. We have very close friends who are uh, deaf and hard of hearing. We were involved in that environment, in that, in that uh, culture, I guess you could say. And one of the things you learn about the deaf community and deaf culture, we both are signers. You wouldn't say we're fluent exactly, but we can get by. But one of the things you notice in the deaf culture and the deaf community is not Two deaf people don't sign the same way. I can understand deaf person A, and then I talk to deaf person B, and it's, like, it's just like a, all of a sudden totally different. And it's an interesting thing in the, in the, in the culture that, that there are levels 
of, the, of communication. What's tragic is so many deaf people, when they're, when they're raised in homes where their families don't, don't even learn how to sign. So they're, they're so alone. They're so isolated. They don't get to pick up on the stuff that we pick up on. You have no idea how much you learn just because you can hear stuff going on. It is a significant challenge for a deaf person. And to think of them being in a, a family and even their own parents don't take the time to learn to communicate with them has got to be heartbreaking. And I've seen the pain in many of the deaf uh, disciples in our church and the struggle that they had, how isolated they were from their own family. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases. The other thing you learn is that, that even though there is such a thing as sign language, ASL, American Sign Language, not all deaf people know it. In fact, I always love teasing my deaf brothers and sisters because when they'll sign to me and I always tell them, you're not good at sign language. And I'm horrible <laughs> at it, but uh, I like to tease them because they're at so many different levels. And, and in some of the more difficult cases, the only way they really communicate is through gesturing. Imagine spending your whole life communicating to people in charades or them communicating to you with charades. In a time before sign language ever even existed, gesturing was the way in which people communicated to this man. It was the very way in which he could communicate to other people. So you can imagine how overwhelmed he might have been. I don't know if he was just sitting at home one day, and next thing you know, people are grabbing him and dragging him into the street, throwing him in front of Jesus. I don't know, but can you imagine not being able to figure out what is happening? Not being able to hear it? And you're like, what? And next thing you know, you're standing in front of this guy, and they're pushing you, and they're pointing, and all this is going on, and you're trying to figure it out. And then Jesus, he, he, he takes him. And he, let, me, let me take you over here. Because he wanted to talk to him. He wanted to communicate. That must have been an incredibly powerful moment for this man that Jesus took the time to focus on him. To give him his attention and to avoid the distraction. So Jesus does a number of funny behaviors. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He spits on him, he, on his fingers. He touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven. He sighs. All of which we could maybe confuse with a priest of Ekman or some other shaman or faith healer. But let me tell you something. I can't say this for sure because I haven't met the guy yet, but if I get to meet this guy, I guarantee you he would stand here and tell us I understood everything he was doing. Because Jesus was gesturing. He was communicating. Hey, I'm going to take care of your hearing. Hey, I'm going to restore your speech. By the way, I feel your pain. And I'm going to do this not because I'm a priest of Ekman or I'm some uh, shaman or faith healer. I'm going to do this by the power of God in heaven. I'm going to restore your speech and your hearing and your ability to communicate with your family and your friends and your neighbors and the world around you. I'm going to do this for you because I care about you and I'm going to do it in the power of God in heaven. Amen. All of that is being communicated. 
It's so funny because when you think about the Syrophoenician woman, if you were here last Sunday, remember Jesus didn't do anything. He just said, your daughter's healed. So sometimes we look at this and go, well, you know, was Jesus's power? Was he not on that day? You know, was he tired? Did he, he had to do these extra things. No, none of this was done because he needed to do it. It was done so that the deaf guy could understand what he was doing. He was talking to him. It's such a beautiful story to me that Jesus cared enough about this guy, pulled him aside. And, and none of this is, is related in the least bit to what a priest of Ekman or any other faith healer or shaman would do. This is pure communication. It's talking. And then when Jesus finally does say a word, he says, Aphathra. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word. It's a real word. It means be opened. He didn't say abracadabra, <laughs> which is a made-up word that actually has no meaning. We've given it meaning now, but it really was just gibberish. It's what magicians would say to throw you off like they were saying some magical spell, abracadabra, as if they were doing something. No, Jesus didn't even do that. So for the few people that were there that were close at hand and paying attention, they understood that Jesus was healing this man by the power of God that resides in him. There's no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And that the power of the God of heaven and earth resided in its full in him. Here's the point. And this is something I want you to think about this whole week. If you can, just remember this statement. Christianity is not only a faith, it's also a language. My wife teases me because I'm horrible at math. Horrible. And I, no lie, I am horrible. I took a test, I mean, I got through high school, I don't know how, but I got through. And uh, <clears throat> because it was like, if it's there in the classroom, I can remember it, but the second I leave the classroom, it's just gone. And uh, um, I, one time as an adult, had the, I was getting into my master's program, and uh, fortunately, my master's program didn't require a high math score. And I took the, it was an online test, and I took the portion of the test that, you know, was like half uh, verbal or, or uh, reading and writing, and the other half was math. And, and when I got to the math section, it was one of these computer tests where you're in a room, you're by yourself, and the computer's smart, so if you get the answer right, it gives you a harder question the next time because it's trying to figure out where you're at. And uh, if you get the answer wrong, it gives you an easier question. And it can, you go through these questions like that. By the end of the test, uh, I, I'm going to embarrass myself here, but it was literally like, can you count the dots on the page? <laughs> I had, and up to that point, I had no idea how I was doing. I was like, I, I don't know, these questions seem like they're harder. And then it got to the last one, I went, oh. Shoot. Uh, one, two, four, you know, and I got it. I think I got it. I have no idea. I was atrocious. But my wife tells me all the time, math is a language. And I'm like, it is gibberish to me. Your Christianity is a language to people. How you live your life, what you do, what you say, how you behave is speaking to people. You're verbalizing words that Jesus Christ wants you to verbalize in all, everything we do. Christianity, Christianity is more than a faith. It's also 
of language. And we're the words. And the more that Christ becomes internalized, the more that Christ becomes formed in us, the more that Christ is in us, the more fluent at the language we are. If you can't speak Christianity, then you need spiritual formation. So this is where homework comes in. We come here on Sunday morning and we hear sermons. And we go to midweek and we hear lessons. And we go to retreats and we hear lessons. And we go to seminars and we, we, read, and we go home and we read books. And we read our Bible. And all of that is information that's being poured into us, poured into us, poured into us. But you know what its point is? You know what the ultimate goal of all of that is if you do all of those things or some of those things? Do you know what the ultimate objective is of all that? Why, are, why am I preaching to you? What's the ultimate goal? It's so that you can take what you hear here and apply it at home. That's what it's about. So homework is how we do Christianity. We go to church, we go to midweek, we go to seminars, we read our Bible, we have quiet times, we, have, we read spiritual books, and then the whole point is to take those things home and put them into practice in the real world, at school, at work, at home, in our daily lives. That's our homework. It's where we do our faith. Verse 36. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. So Jesus told the crowd, hey, don't, you know, please keep this to ourselves. <laughs> Good luck, right? I mean, let's not talk about this. You can see Jesus isn't in this for the, the, the accolades or the, or the praise. He really cared about this man. He healed him. That was an amazing occurrence. It blew everybody's minds. And he was like, please, 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 let's just, let's just you know, keep this to ourselves. Of course, nobody listens to that. And so they go around, they keep telling everything. And, and you know, I often wonder why. It seems like if you read the Gospels, Jesus does this a lot. He tells people, please don't shh, keep this to yourself, right? He seems to do that. And I thought about it long and hard. Why? And there's lots of reasons we could probably find. One is, you know, he was trying to measure or keep, keep sort of a pace. He had a, he had a timeline that he was operating on, and he didn't want to get it uh, rushed ahead like it almost did in Galilee just a, a few days before this when they tried to make him king after he fed 5,000 or 20,000 people. Right? They tried to make him king, and he had, to, he had to leave the area. Certainly that's one reason, but I think there's another reason, and I think the reason is this. Jesus doesn't want people to confuse his ministry and his message. It's really easy for us people to take one over the other. We like the message, or we like the ministry. We like the do-gooding, or we like the learning. And we tend to favor one or the other. And so sometimes we get caught up in it and we start, well, I want to do all this good, 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 good. And, we, and then we don't have the message anymore or we compromise or we, or we water down the message. Or we get so heavy on the message, 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 that nobody feels any love, any ministry, any compassion. And that's just our human state. We're never in perfect balance. Jesus was, and I think he was always trying to maintain the balance with his followers and with the, with the crowd. There was always a balance. He didn't want ministry to trump message and message trump ministry. And so he was trying to find balance. The thing that's funny in this passage that I, that's dear to my heart is verse 37. Mark says they were completely 
amazed. That phrase, completely amazed, in Greek is this word. I'll never pronounce it correctly. Hyperperisos. The funny thing about that word is it's totally made up. So Mark doesn't say abracadabra. He, you know, he makes sure that Jesus said, you know, an Aramaic word be opened, right? But here he makes up a word. And this is good to me. This is dear to me because I make up words all the time. People like to tease me. You know, my mind gets going and I'm talking and I just like words get mushed in my head sometimes and they just come out. I think that's kind of what happened. Mark was so impressed. He was trying to describe what was happening here and he just made up a word. And it was like, totes awesome. <laughs> they were amazified. It's, like, it's what he did. He just like made up a word. And then we get to this statement. He even makes the deaf. He, everything he does is wonderful. <laughs> everything he does is wonderful. Who else could you say that about? Now, I know you got married and you may have thought that at one point. <laughs> but that wears off really fast. Still, still do. That does go away at some point. <laughs> what a standard. I mean, this phrase is the challenge for you and me. Because as followers of Jesus, that's the footsteps. Those are the shoes. I got to fill those. Everything he does is wonderful. We have a joke in my family. My brother has a, a new girlfriend. She's been, been dating her for a while now. And she's really, really nice to my mom. To, to ad nauseum nice to my mom. I mean, my brothers and sisters are like, oh, really? So my mom, that's all she says is, Tina's wonderful. She says it with emphasis. And we're just like, oh, Tina, stop it. You're crying out loud. You're raising the bar on us. Now we got to like take care of her everywhere we go. That's what Jesus did. He, he put this bar out there. And as Christians, that's what we're supposed to achieve. That's, 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 the, that's, the, that's the target. Everything is wonderful. Now, if you're like me, I, you know, that's just impossible. It's hard to hit. When I was in high school, 11th grade, I, back to my math, I, it was 11th grade, your hard year, and I had chemistry. And I got pneumonia the first week of school, so I was out for the first two weeks. And I missed everything in chemistry. I came in and I was so totally lost. When I'm in the subject, I can remember it from day to day and then at the end of the semester it's gone, right? Or after the test it's gone. But I, I didn't even have the, the basics, so I was in major trouble. So I went to class and I just slept every day in chemistry. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating because I was so lost. I didn't do a single assignment. I didn't, I didn't do any home. I, I didn't know what to do. And halfway, you know, mid-semester mid came, and actually the teacher that was teaching, he was a great guy, but he got another job, and he left, and a new teacher came in, Miss Hoshka. And uh, I was, you know, getting ready for my senior season of football, and there was no way I wanted to miss my senior year of football. And in my high school, if you had an F like that, you, you were off the team. So I was desperate. I'm like, oh, man, I, what am I going to do? So I went to Miss Hoshka, and I said, I, I am so lost. I know nothing. I've done nothing. I need your help. And she said, you come to my class every day at lunch, and I will catch you up. 
And so I spent my entire 11th grade year going to Miss Hosha's class for lunch. I had lunch with her, and she started at chapter one and retaught the entire year of chemistry to me so that I could get caught up. I ended up having lunch with her every day after that, all through my senior year. We became really good friends. I dated her daughter. <laughs> Went on vacation with her family. She was a great lady. But you know, every one of us needs a teacher and a tutor in our life. Especially if we're going to try to reach this bar, we have to have teaching and tutoring in our life. We cannot do it on our own. And don't think you can. You need people. In our church, we call it discipleship. And, and, and I know discipleship has gone through various iterations, various you know, definitions. We all have kind of a unique relationship to that word. Some of it's not always positive. But let me do one thing. Let me ask you one thing. Let's redefine discipleship as this. It's a circle of people who you've chosen to help you form Christ in your life. Let's call that discipleship. That every one of us commit to finding four or five other people, more or less, I mean, but you know, a decent number of people who you can rely on, who you can communicate with on a regular basis. One might be every day, the other one might be once a month, the other one might be a few times a year. I don't know what works for you, but you surround yourself with a circle of key people who help form Christ in your life. Because we all need teaching and we all need tutoring to achieve the standard. One of the things that I really believe in is that it's a voluntary thing. I've been in this church a long time, and I remember when discipleship wasn't voluntary. We would literally say, okay, you're going to disciple this guy and that guy, and, you know, and we would line it all up, and that was good. And there was a positive to that, and if you need that to get it started, please talk to me. Talk to my wife. We'll, help, we'll happily help you connect with someone. Or talk to Gio and Karen, or talk to the person that you're close to here, or if you're new, who invited you out and you're interested in doing this. I'm fine with that to help you get started, but there is a point that all of us learn where we have to own it at some point. We can't blame the lack of Christ being formed in our life on the person that was assigned to me to help me. It's kind of the opposite of the whole concept. It's about owning it. The only way I got through chemistry was because I decided I needed the teaching and tutoring. And I sought it out. And I happened to find a gem. And the same is going to be true for you. If you really, truly seek it out, you are going to find gems. You're going to find people who you are indebted to for the rest of your life that are going to help you accomplish the goal of becoming like Christ. So please, I don't know where you're at, if you have a circle that you've identified, if you, if you haven't, if you need help with it, please talk to me, talk to my wife, talk to the Garces, talk to someone you know in here, but please, I'm begging of you, put it into your life. You need it. We all need it. I'm going to close out here. You know, not all teachers are fat cows. <laughs> just because they assign us horrible homework. Not all homework is bad. 
The homework Jesus gives us, the homework that He's left for you and I to do, is to do our Christianity. And that's the message. And the reason that He went to Sidon. Hopefully you come back in two weeks. Next week we're going to be at our regional worship service over at the Marriott. Please make plans to attend that. 10 a.m., Woodland Hills Marriott. We're going to be with all of our sister churches in this local area here. It's going to be a great time. But after that, we're going to continue, and we're going to end up in the Decapolis, and I can't wait to talk about what we learned from Jesus there in the Decapolis. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close out with a final song. Thank you.